So I just want to read uh, a wee passage just that's found and just kind of linked to this DIY night and what it's about. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and um, it's sort of verse 11, um, the next couple of verses. And this is uh, Paul, and he's speaking to his friend Timothy. And he says this, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity, until I come to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. That little passage that's found there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I suppose, reminds us that, well, Timothy was relatively young, and we are all, in various different ages, relatively young, but yet we can always develop our gifts, and we can set an example through the public reading of Scripture, through teaching, through how we speak, and how we conduct ourselves. And right now, one of us is going to do that, and I'm going to hand my over to Joel, who's going to share his favorite verse for us. Thank you, Joel. Uh, my favorite verse is Isaiah chapter 14, verse uh, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. It's my favorite verse because uh, I'm left-handed, so whenever I'm working or writing, he's holding my right hand while I'm using my left hand. Thank you, Joe. So now we're going to look again at God's words. We're going to hand over to Ross, who is going to share on God's words. Thank you. Actually, I've got that in the wrong order, Ross. Please sit down. I read it too early. <laughs> There's a bit that comes before that. Apologies. And that is David, so he's coming to share his testimony. And then after that is Ross. And then after that is the quiz. So thank you so much, David. Apologies for that. Okay, well, um, hello everyone. Um, for those of you who maybe don't know me so well, um, my name is David McCubrey. Um, I am 37 years old. Yep, and I um, grew up a couple of miles outside Balnehinch, out on outside the town on the Belfast side of Balnehinch. Um, I initially went to a little primary school that doesn't exist anymore, uh, Mockernock Primary. It's now like a children's daycare nursery place out the road towards Lisburn and then I went there for a few years and I actually went then to Spa Primary after that um, and then on to Wellington College in Belfast. So I grew up in a home where I learnt about God and was taught the truth of the Bible from an early age. I went to Sunday school uh, church BB and also to a CEF Good News Club in Balnehinch. I learned lots of verses from the Bible. I had probably a good general knowledge of Bible stories from all those meetings. And to people who knew me, I wouldn't have seemed like I was a bad person. And I was happy growing up in that Christian environment. I had Christian friends, Christian family, and Christian relations. And maybe that's something similar to some of you here tonight. Um, it is an incredible thing to have Christian friends, Christian family, even extended Christian family circle. And it can mean that you can be protected from many of the evil things in the world. Um, it's really great to be taught from the Bible in church and at home. 
But there is a danger that you can know a lot about the Christian faith, but not be an actual real Christian. You can just be part of that Christian community and you can just fit into that. In fact, you can think that you don't really need to repent or trust in Jesus for salvation because you mightn't even really understand or believe that you need to be saved. But that's a mistake. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So on the outside we can seem good, but on the inside our hearts are full of sin. And that could be the sin of pride and maybe trusting in your own goodness, thinking, well, I'm better than that person, so that must be good enough. It could be other sins that can start on the inside, um, but eventually will show in our lives, maybe envy, lust, bitterness, love of money and popularity. First John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we think that we are good enough, then we're saying that Jesus didn't need to die for us. And rejecting Jesus is a really serious thing. So it was when I was eight years old that I realized that the sin in my life, even though to other people it mightn't seem to be showing on the outside, I knew that the sin in my life was going to result in me facing God's punishment. And I needed to accept Jesus as my savior. So I can't remember a lot about it. Um, but I do remember I had a real concern in my heart one evening that um, I realized that because of my sin, I was going to hell when I died and that I did need to do something about it. So I spoke to my mum and I can remember her taking out her Bible and her showing me some verses that explained how I could become um, a Christian and how I could know forgiveness through believing in Jesus and his death on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And that night, I prayed to God, uh, asking him to save me. And I knew then I had a peace of God and that I would go to heaven one day. Now, there wouldn't have been some radical change in my life looking from the outside. Of course, there was um, that transformation on the inside. But even from, from then, I, I learned how to read verses from the Bible every day, to have a little book that helped me to understand them, and to pray to God each day. And something that I really benefited from was a teaching that I received, even as you know, quite a young child, from people at different church things and then also in that CEF Good News Club. And it was in those meetings that I had that foundation of Bible truths explained to me that I was encouraged to grow in my faith and be a stronger Christian. For my Christian faith not just to be like a hobby, you know, something that just was assigned to part of my day or you know, part of my week and just was a little part of my life that was nothing to do with anything else. But for my faith to be the very center of my life and for it to influence everything that I said, I thought and I did. That was the, the teaching and the encouragement that I received even as a child. And when I got into my later teens and uh, then I started getting involved myself in teaching children. So the first thing I did was that I was asked if I could help out in Sunday school. So I didn't have my own class at first. I just, when other teachers maybe were sick or had to go somewhere else, I would have filled in for them. And that got me a bit of experience. And then initial, then uh, after that, a few years of doing that, I had my own class of teaching children each Sunday. I helped at the Holiday Bible Club in my church. 
And then I, I did that CES summer outreach training course that those were here last week and Colin mentioned. So I did that one week in one year in Kilkeel CV Centre and then I did it the next year in the Ross Nowla Centre over in Donegal and Ocean View. So um, that's just for any of you who don't know, um, that's a week at the beginning of the summer when young people are trained in how to teach a Bible lesson to children how to teach a memory verse, how to lead a uh, children's meeting, and just lots of general useful hints and tips and advice on working with children in Christian things. And it's only when you have to sit down and you have to think, well, how am I going to explain this Bible truth to a child, that you realise that you maybe don't fully understand it yourself. I remember at the beginning of one of the classes um, that we had, we were asked to write down a few lines to explain the gospel. And it's only when you start to write it down, you think, well, what, what, what is the gospel? What's the really important parts of it? What's, what's the right way of explaining it that you don't mislead someone? And you maybe realize, do I really understand this properly myself? So that encouraged me then through that and through other teaching things to try to get to understand Bible doctrine better myself so that then I could explain it clearly and, and concisely to the children. So as I prepared to teach children in the different things, whether that was in you know, five-day clubs in the summer or in camps or in back in church and Sunday school and Holy Bible Club, I actually myself had to learn things first so that I could explain it to them. So I would encourage you to take the opportunity to get involved in Christian work in your own church and then maybe as other opportunities present themselves. But don't forget that an important part of reaching others is the testimony of your own life. If your heart is right with God and you're living in obedience to him, then that will show not just in, in the words you say as you do some kind of you know talk or teach a verse or whatever it is, but it will show in your general behavior, in your words outside of that, in your interaction with children and young people. And that itself will be a powerful witness to others. So it's not just enough, um, sorry, it's not enough just for us to, to be doing Christian things on the outside. The Bible says, for the Lord saith not as man saith. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God knows our hearts. We can trick other people by just what they see on the outside, but God knows our hearts and he wants us to be fully committed to him. There was a famous um, American missionary called Jim Elliot, and this is what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So I'll say it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So if as a Christian you give what you have to God, whether that be your time, your money, your abilities, your efforts, then you will gain things that you can never lose, eternal life and a reward in heaven. Plus, of course, the, the joy and the peace of living for God that, that that brings in this life. So I want to finish then with a favourite verse of mine, and we'll, we'll look this one up. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you, you can look this one up too. Matthew chapter 6, and it is verse 33. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 33. So it says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added unto you. So obviously a really well-known verse, um, and we, sometimes we sing it here as well. So God knows what we need in this life. And the Bible, of course, speaks of God as being our Heavenly Father, who loves us and uh, provides for us. So we're not to worry about whether we have the things that we need, because we can trust God. And if you look at the, the verses that come before that, it's talking about how God can provide all our essentials in life and how we're not to worry about that the way other people do. Instead of worrying about those things, we're to focus on and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to put God first in our lives and to leave the other things to him in prayer. And I can honestly say that even in recent times in my life, how God has provided for me. And so if you're a Christian, then this is a promise that you can trust in and put into action in your life too. Tonight's talk, uh, we're just going to look briefly kind of at a... Uh, the passage is probably quite familiar to a lot of you tonight. Um, Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. Um, it's the passage of the crucifixion of Christ, or Luke's account of it. Uh, this is a big passage. There's a lot to learn in it. However, just in tonight's kind of talk, I just wanted to focus in on kind of two points in particular in the passage. Um, to set a little bit of context on where Luke 23 sits in the story, for those of you that don't know this, as I said, it's the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And prior to this passage, in the verses before, Jesus had walked into Jerusalem on a donkey in the week prior to these events we're about to read. And had been tried by both Herod and Pilate, two of the, the local rulers. And then he was sentenced to death, not by them, but by the shouts of the same crowd that had welcomed him into Jerusalem just days earlier. In this passage... um. We recount the story of the, the crucifixion of Christ and we see Jesus' interactions with a number of different people on his journey to Calvary um, where he was hung on the cross uh, in our place. And I'm going to focus in on one of these interactions but we're just going to read all these verses just to get an understanding of the passage where it's all sitting in. Um, but before we do so, well, let's read the passage and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Luke chapter 23 verse 26. And as they led him away, as they led him away, they laid hold upon Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which will never give suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, or commonly known as the robbers, on the right-hand side and on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. 
And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, saying, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, which were, yeah, sorry, which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt be, thou, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you um, for the opportunity that we have to be able to come and gather together, Father, and the fellowship to open up your word to sing your praises. Father, we just pray now as you open up this passage, um, just that, Father, you'll you'll speak through me, Father, and that um, just that you'll give us all ears to hear, Father, what your word has to say here, um, and just give us an understanding of what it means. And, Father, just pray that you'll bless our time together here now. Amen. So in what we've just read, we've seen Jesus interacting with the Simon the Cyrenian and the thieves on the crosses to his left and right, as well as the wailing woman. Uh, but tonight we're going to focus in just in that first verse in the encounter with Simon, uh, which we're not going to get very far into the passage, but uh, there is, as I said, there's a lot in this. Um, so Simon uh, was called a Cyrenian. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but basically what that means is that he had actually traveled up. He was from an ancient city called Cyrene which is now currently in about northeast Libya, which is at the top of Africa. So the city was about 900 miles from Jerusalem, which is where the passage has taken place. He had travelled up for the Passover celebration, and more than likely, he had not planned to come up to see Jesus and was probably a complete stranger. Back in the passage in verse 26, we see that Simon was instructed to carry the heavy wooden cross up the hill for Jesus. Simon was substituted in for Jesus to take away the physical burden of carrying the cross. Um, the word substitution is probably familiar to us from many different contexts, more more so in particular in sports, where it means replacing someone or something with another person or thing. Ultimately, this is what Christ has done for each of us here tonight. He took the place we were meant to be in and took the punishment we deserved as sinners upon himself but you see, not only did Christ stand in as our substitute, but then he opened up the only way that we can have a relationship with God the Father. You see, by dying for us on the cross and taking the wrath of God that we deserved, he took that upon himself. He hasn't just set us free from the penalty of our sins against God, but he has actually purchased us to a new and greater life. That is, to fulfill God's true plan for our lives and to have our relationship with God restored. So Jesus doesn't only stand in the place of sinners, but he also gives sinners like us a better place in which to stand. And we can come and have a deep relationship with God the Father through the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross that we've read there in this passage. The gap that was between, Christ now stands in and fills as the mediator, as the bridge between us and God the Father. Another thing to note maybe in this interaction with Simon is that he picked up his cross for Jesus on the day of his crucifixion. Um, and I don't know if you'll be familiar, maybe heard of that phrase before, whenever somebody says, 
to pick, deny yourself and pick up your cross. It's quite a well-known verse. It's sometimes hard and not fully maybe grasp what it actually means to do that as a Christian. But we are called to pick up our cross daily and deny ourselves. In Luke 9, verse 23, we read we where Jesus said to them, the disciples and the crowd, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But what does it mean whenever the Bible talks about us having to carry our cross? Some people say that a cross is a burden that they have. For example, say they had a sore back or someone close by them had passed away. They would say it's their cross. But this isn't what he meant. Although it's not necessarily wrong to refer to some problem we have as a cross we must bear. In Jesus' day, a cross itself was a symbol of suffering. And we all have trials and afflictions that may be very hard for us to bear, even with God's help. But Jesus meant something far deeper than this when he told his disciples to carry their cross. In Jesus' day, it wasn't just a pain of, a symbol of pain and suffering. The cross was mainly a symbol of death. What Jesus was telling them is that they needed to put to death their own plans and desires and to turn their lives over to him and to his will every day to be proactive in it. You see, Jesus didn't simply call us to believe that he existed or even to believe that he can save us. He calls on us to commit our whole lives to him, to trust him alone for our salvation and then to follow him as his disciples did. He said, anyone who does not carry up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple in Luke 14, 27. You see, we've been saved from death into the fullness of life through the sacrifice of Christ, and we have a new identity found in God. And uh, speaking of this identity, First Peter two nine and ten say, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, not but now you have received mercy." If you remember anything from tonight, remember this, that Jesus doesn't give us a stand, doesn't only stand in the place of sinners, but that he gives us a better place in which to stand. Um, and I suppose just kind of in conclusion, I just want to say tonight, are you standing in that better place? Or are you standing in the place of an unrepentant sinner? Have you put your trust in Christ or are you trusting something of the world? If you have put your trust in Christ, I pray that you continue to grow strong in your faith, continue to learn more about your Heavenly Father and His goodness towards you. And if you haven't yet, just ask yourself now, why not? You see, ultimately Christ is the only way to this better place in which to stand. And to come to the foot of the cross and to see Him, an innocent man, the Son of the living God, was raised up, beaten, mocked and accused, all because He loved you deeply and more than you'll ever know. And desires to have a close relationship with you. And this was the only way. So come to a better place through Christ. Which is an eternal relationship with God. And find your rest in him.